0: Welcome to of Community Church Online. Let's join pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. With oh, Sovereign Lord, Creator of the heavens and the earth, King of kings and Lord of lords, we we praise you. It's by your grace that we are here today. It's by your grace that we live and move and, and breathe. It's by your mercy that we could be called your children, Lord, and we, we thank you. God, we want to ask for your forgiveness, that you would forgive us of our sins, those who, that come into our mind when we think of, of our sins, Lord, but we ask that you would forgive us for the division <clears throat> that we allow into the body of Christ. We ask that you would forgive us for not loving the lost, and for not sharing the gospel as you've called us to in and, and word and, and in, in deed, Lord. Lord, we know that our, our flesh is weak, and, and we praise you for your forgiveness, for the forgiveness that we stuck in sin, and we thank you that you will not only cleanse us from sin, but you are um, continually cleansing us from sin and working that out of our lives so that we look more and more like you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide us day by day to produce within us the fruit of faith and the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and self-control. Lord, we ask that you would teach us to love you with our whole hearts and teach us to love our our neighbors as ourselves. God, we ask that you would remove divisions in the church. Remind us that we are united in Christ. Lord, we ask for healing of the sick, the sick of the congregation, um, that you would protect those who have weakened immune systems from the virus. We ask for easing of pain for those who are in pain right now, Lord, that you would ease that pain and and bring healing. And we ask for answers uh, for those who are waiting on answers from the doctors and um, test results, Lord. Father, we also pray for our medical workers that you would protect them, that you would give them endurance and um, wisdom, and how to to go about this very uh, turbulent time, Lord. We ask that you would open up beds for the sick and provide for the treatments that they need, the medications that they need, Lord, and. Uh, we just, we trust you in this, in this unknown season. Lord, I want to pray for our local CEF and for Trinity as she uh, is taking a position of leadership there. Lord, I pray that you would help uh, her have wisdom and how to lead in this time. And uh, I pray that you would give them the ability to proclaim the gospel to the children of, of this area. Lord, open up schools so that they can have good news clubs and, and bring kids into healthy and Bible-teaching churches, Lord. Help us to reach out to the children in our communities and, um, through this uh, wonderful organization, this ministry, CEF, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your hearing, our prayers. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds as we open your word. Holy Spirit, guide us and and grant us your grace. Grant me your grace to speak to your people with your power, Lord. I pray if any are here who were lost, you you would save them this morning. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. Everyone else. Turn to First Peter, if you will. We're going to continue our um, series on the kingdom of God. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Uh, I just want you in the word with me as we look at the text together. Well, someone once wrote... That communities exist because they are bound together by something they have in common. Uh, It's not a profound statement. It's just one that should make us think of the communities that we're in. We're in communities. um, We are in work communities because we share a commonality in the job that we hold. Uh, We're in sports communities communities. Quilting communities, hunting, golf, uh, you, you get the idea. We, we gather together around something that we have in common. A lot of times, though, in these communities that we're involved in, uh, there, there's divisions within those communities. So we have a larger community that starts to divide, um, and we see that in the voting community. It divides because of different uh, political beliefs. We see this in... Uh, in uh, activists, they divide over what is the more important goal. Uh, we see this in sporting communities. We violent fights break out because one team is different than another and the allegiances are enemies. It's filled, our, our community is filled with natural enemies. Uh, different ethnic groups. Slave and free, young and old, male and female. If you look at the disciples, you have fishermen, you have a tax collector who they probably all would have hated. They had a zealot who would have tried to uh, kill the tax collector on any given day. But because they share in one Lord, because we share in one Lord, in one Spirit, and in, in one baptism, we are to love one another in spite of our differences because of our love for Jesus Christ. Our love for our Christian brothers and our Christian sisters is not based on how we vote, uh, how we uh, land on max, masks or vaccines, or even where we go to church. Our love for one another is in Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus. It's this love for one another that reveals that we're the kingdom community. We're new creations. We have new desires. We have a new focus. But too often we see that the Christian community starts to tear at itself, we're at each other's throats, we start to divide over issues, we have to understand, we have to return to the fact that the church as the kingdom community displays the kingdom of God first to one another and then to the world around us. So this morning we're going to look at how the kingdom community displays Christ's love first, how the kingdom people are priests to God, how the kingdom priest, or the, how the kingdom people are priests to one another, and how the kingdom people are priests to the world around us. So let's look at first at how the kingdom uh, community displays the love of Christ. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter one, verse 22. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. We're going to stop there. He's been talking about um, how Christ uh, has raised, though through him, our believers in God, through Jesus, who have raised him from the dead. This is just verse 21. Gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God and then he says, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. We wanna, I want to make sure that we understand that that phrase does not mean, Peter is not saying that your obedience is bringing about your salvation. He just said that's not the case. It's through Christ alone. But that salvation is seen in the obedience of the believer. So that we've been saved, it is displayed in how we follow the king. We see Jesus says this, if you love me in John 14, 15, you will keep my commandments. Um, We also see this in Romans. Paul says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Again, in 15, 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except Christ, what Christ has accomplished through me to bring, about, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. One more, if you don't believe me. But has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings of the gospel. It has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. Why? To bring about the obedience So we see that obedience is reflective of our salvation. And I want you to notice here that Peter says the goal or the purpose of this salvation, look at the text, for, let's just start over at 22, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Spurgeon writes, The first time we were born, we were born in sin, and that tends to hate. But when we were born again, we were born unto God, our life tends to love. You see, in the fall of humanity went from a pure love for God and for others to loving ourselves above all and living solely for ourselves, Adam's love for Eve right at the fall goes from I love you to it's your fault. It turns to blame almost immediately. Cain's love for his brother Abel turns to murder almost immediately when he's rejected, his sacrifice is rejected. Even God later on calls the shepherds of Israel, the priests and the prophets, the judges, the leaders, he says, you are loving yourself, we see in Ezekiel Prophesy, says son of man, against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. were scattered. He says because you did not take care of each other, the leaders didn't take care of each other and the sheep didn't take care of each other either. They were scattered because they were so busy loving themselves that they didn't love the kingdom community. But when we're born again... We have this tendency to love the brothers and sisters that we have in Christ. Not for selfish gain, not for what I can get from them, not because we're the closest of friends, but for Christ's sake. Bonhoeffer says human love is directed to the other person for his own sake. We get something out of it. But spiritual love loves him for Christ's sake. This is a sincere, it's a genuine Love, it's a characteristic of the people of God. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. John says it again, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Did you get that? We know that we've passed out of death, the sinful life, into life because we love the brothers. Everyone does not love, whoever, does not love, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's characteristic, the love of one another in the church is characteristic of the kingdom people. Our love for fellow Christians, for those in the kingdom, is how we know we're in the kingdom. It's how we know we are kingdom people. If Christ loved the church so much that he would give his own life to die for her, then who are we to rise ourselves above that love? If we place ourselves before others, if we disconnect ourselves from the body, if we slander and hate and tear the body down, then hear me, we love ourselves more than the bride of Christ. And that's not reflective of the heart of those in the kingdom. It's actually reflective of those whose hearts are in the kingdom of this world. We see that in 1 John. Let me just go back. Don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know we've passed out of death to life because we love the brothers. The ones who hate are the ones who are not in the kingdom. Peter commands us to love one another. Look at the text again, verse 22. You were saved for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It sounds redundant. It sounds like he's just repeating himself, but now he's giving us a command. We just saw this love is characteristic of those who are in the kingdom of God. It's a reflection of their salvation. Their heart is being changed but we're also here commanded to participate in this love. So that means that even though the Lord has changed your heart or is changing your heart, you also are obligated to be obedient to his commandment to love one another, to actively pursue love of the body of Christ. We can't just sit back and say, I'll just wait until I love everyone. We're too selfish for that. We have to actively pursue the body of Christ in love. So we say, I'm gonna love the church because Christ loves the church and he commands me to love the church and I love him so I'm gonna love what he tells me to love. I'm not gonna love the church because of what I get out of it or because of selfish gain or because I even get along with everyone, I'm going to love from a pure heart, a heart that has been cleansed of selfishness by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to love from a heart that wants to love and serve like the king of all creation put on flesh and loved us so much that he would die for us. That's how I'm going to love the body, from a pure heart by the power of his spirit that's in me. I can't muster this up. If you think you can, just go for a week and then come back and tell me how well you did. And we have to see, what is feeding this love? But he says, go and love. Okay, I want to do that. So what's feeding the love? Look back at the text. Love one another from, earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Since this, it issues, it's rooted in God's prior saving work. It's not something I had before. I didn't have this as old creation. I was very selfish, Um, still am, but it's being worked out of me. But he says, since you have been born again, you are new creations, church. You have new hearts. You have Christ-like minds. And then Peter amplifies that in the next phrase. He says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So he's saying, you're no longer this old person. You're no longer rooted in the first Adam who fell in sin. And and, and then that created a, a tidal wave of sin afterwards. He says, you're no longer that person, you're now of the imperishable seed. You're now connected with the second Adam, the G in you to love Christ. With this desire now growing in you to love and sacrifice for his people. And this new heart and desire is fed by living the living word of God that is making us new day by day. Look back at the text. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Jump to verse 2 in chapter 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The way that we grow is by the indwelling living word of God in us. We see in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning, this is the scary part, thoughts and intentions of the heart. So as we come to the Word and we read the Word and we see this is what we're called to do and the Word starts to cut and reveal the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and it starts to uncover the reasons I don't love the church around me, it's because of selfishness in my life, because it's pride in my heart, because of my hurt in the past, because of the lack of forgiveness that I have for someone in the church, because of anger of the past or the present. And God starts showing that to you, and he starts revealing, this is who I died for. These are the people I died for, so that you could forgive So that you could, instead of being angry, you could show mercy. And you might be thinking, Greg, you have no idea what this person or that person has done. Or you have no idea how bad that person gets on my nerves. (sighs) You don't know that they left the church for this reason or that. And I get it. I, I do. I get it. Left to your own, you cannot forgive, you cannot show mercy. That's why you have to be renewed through the living and abiding word of God. He doesn't say, since you've been born again, not a perishable, and perishable, or you should love one another earnestly from a pure heart, so good luck. He doesn't, it doesn't say that in here. He says, I'm with you. I'm, I'm making you new, but you have to participate with me in this. We need the Spirit to expose our heart so that He can repair that broken part and we can love as He loves. And this abides as in John 15:5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides lives. In me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. You cannot do this apart from him. It's impossible to bear the fruit of unity in the kingdom of God without God producing the fruit in you. And on the flip side, we need to ask, what's starving this love in my life? So if the word is feeding this love, and I want to start loving people because the word is dwelling in me and it's producing this love in my heart, what is strangling that love? What is starving that love? Well, Peter shows us. So, verse two or verse one in chapter two, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And if you jump down to verse 11, he he tells us those things, the passions of our soul, that would be what he just described, are waging war against our soul. So God is changing us and those things are waging war and pulling us away from his desire for us. So first, malice is starving this love. Malice is... Uh, not a word I use daily. Um, it means depravity, wickedness, a vice, evil, things like that. So if, if we're feeding our old nature, if we're living for ourselves, then we're not going to be living for or loving other people. The primary focus in malice is myself. Myself. I'm only living for myself. Instead of living for others, I'm living for myself. So Peter says, put away, or more literally, rid yourself of all malice. Flee from sin, he's saying. Because sin always tends towards self, never toward the other person. Even if it's for the other person, it's ultimately for yourself. The same goes for deceit. How can we love our brothers and sisters in Christ if we're deceiving one another? We can't. We're lying. We're, we're, we're distorting the truth. Deceit seeks to fool someone to get our own way. It's the opposite of love. And we have to put away deceit by, in a very minor way, uh, but a major way. I don't know how that works out. You can figure that out on your own. By not saying, I'm fine when we're not. That's a form of deceit. It's, we need to grow closer together as the body of Christ so that we can fight together in prayer, we can fight together in whatever we need to. But if we're constantly saying, I'm fine when we're not, we're not pulling together as the body. One of the most dangerous and most corrosive things that has ever happened to Christianity is individualizing it. It is is not an individual religion. It is not something that we have our own personal Jesus, and I'm going to take him home, and I'm going to have my own thing with him. That is not what Christianity is. It is bringing us into a kingdom. It is making us into a body of Christ. We work together. But in our pride, if we hide our struggles or we think we can do this on our own, we're deceiving ourselves. If you're hiding how you truly are, you're not only starving yourself from the love of others, you're starving the church's ability to love you. And that's not how it's created to operate. Paul said, or Peter says, "Rid yourself of deceit." And this goes very well with hypocrisy, which is next. Rid yourself of hypocrisy." And you probably know a hypocrite is a Greek word term used for an actor who would wear a mask, not a mask, um, but a mask over their face, on stage. They play different roles. So many of us, and when we come into church, we put on this facade. That everything's fine, we smile and nod, we're not struggling at all. Last week we had zero prayer requests, so we're like good as a church, I guess. Um, and I'm speaking to myself because I didn't put my own prayer request in. But we've come in and we put this facade on and, and actually we're suffering. We're suffering an addiction or sorrow or pain or anger and Or we're living a life of sin that's hidden. And when we come to church, we think, well, maybe just my church attendance is going to wash that all away. I don't need help with my brothers and sisters with this. I can deal with it on my own. Listen, we're all hypocrites. Like when the world calls you the church a hypocrite, we could just agree. We know. That's why we're here. We need to stop hiding it from one another. We need to confess sin so we can pray together, confess our struggles so we can struggle together. Rid yourself, Peter says, of all hypocrisy. It robs you from loving others because you're too worried about how you look, how you perform. And if I need to put that facade on, then I can't love other people. It robs others from loving you too because you're acting like I'm good to go. I have it all together. Put away envy, he says. Envy also strangles out um, love. Envy only divides brothers and sisters. Instead of generating love, envy is, is loving a person's stuff more than the person themselves. It leads to treating them good so that either you can get um, next to them and and enjoy some of their stuff, or it means treating them poorly because you want what they have and you're just angry you don't. Put away slander, probably the number one issue in, in every church, probably the number one cancer in all churches, gossip, slander, hate spewing. If we're slandering other Christians, we're not living as kingdom people. We're looking like the world around us. Repent if that's where you are and, and turn to Jesus. Rid yourself of slander, of malice, of deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Now, this genuine love, it's So we need to see first the kingdom people are first and foremost priests to God. Look at Peter 2 1 Peter 2 verse 4. Ooh, almost spilled my water. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious. We see we're The kingdom of God is rejected by men. We saw that already in in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We're rejected because we're following the one true king, which is going opposite direction of the many kings of the world. Jesus told us, don't be surprised if you're hated. Um, Don't be surprised if you're rejected. Don't be surprised if you're persecuted because I was hated and rejected and persecuted first. If you're following me, that's the way it's going to go. But I have chosen you by my grace and made you a royal priesthood. We see this again, not only here and in verse 9, but we see this in Revelation. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, And made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We see it again in Revelation 5. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Again, in Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. We've been chosen and made royal priests. This is the same language that we saw in the garden. He was to serve, Adam and Eve were to serve and guard the garden. That means, that was the same language that we saw in the temple. They were to serve and guard in the temple. And we see the same things as the priests of God. We are to serve and guard in all the nations. We are to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter describes us as these living stones. Let's look back at First Peter. You come to him, a living stone, that's Jesus, is rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the most important stone, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and as they were destined to... We're being built up as a spiritual house. This doesn't mean there's a whole bunch of little spiritual houses. It means the community of God is being built up into a spiritual house. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and God in us just as he was in the temple in the Old Testament, his presence dwelling in the people of God. Paul picks this up in Ephesians. He says, but Christ is faithful over... That's not Ephesians. (laughs) That's Hebrews. Same thing. We are his house. (laughs) Not the same book. Definitely not the same author. But he shows that we are his house, God's house. If indeed we hold fast to the confidence. And then probably, yep, Ephesians... We're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. You see how he's building this picture in your mind. You should see the prophets and the apostles and Jesus Christ, and then we're being built up with them in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By the Spirit. We see the same pattern that we saw in the garden here and in Peter. God is King, His people are the dwelling place, His his people are those who've been saved by Jesus Christ. His rule is the scripture that we hold in our hands. We're being built up to display the kingdom of God to the world around us and we see this again in Revelation 21 The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel I'm not going to say all these correctly so if you're a uh, I don't even know what you call someone that studies rocks Gemnology is just I think you just made that up um <laughs> The wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, carnelian, uh, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysophase, the eleventh, genith, the twelfth, amethyst. It doesn't matter what they are called. (laughs) I think there's more. We've got to keep going. Oh, no, we'll get there in a second. So you get, We have this picture, right? And, and the picture is of this, every kind of jewel. Um, and we're looking at that picture. And then we just saw in Peter, we're being living stones. Uh, the same words are used there. Stone and Peter and uh, jewel, those are the same Greek word um, used in both of those. But instead of living stones being built up in, in Revelation, they're now, instead of a, a, a temple, they're a city. And uh, the God is the temple. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. This is the perfection of the Garden of Eden. The, this is the perfection of what we are working toward as the kingdom of God. This, this is what our end goal is as the priest. Living stones being built up, expanding the kingdom until Christ returns when he makes all things new. And we're the living stones for the purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices. We see in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our spiritual sacrifice is denying ourselves and living for Christ. And in doing that, we are offering sacrifices that are pleasing to the Lord. Our spiritual sacrifices, denying self and living for the kingdom, loving God and loving others and putting the kingdom of God before our own kingdoms. And you see the imagery of priest and temple or house in that imagery Peter's revealing that the kingdom people are priests to one another. But look at verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're priests. To one another first practically in word what we say to each other, how we proclaim the gospel to one another, how we remind one another who we are in Jesus Christ. We remind each other that we were chosen We're a chosen race. Just look at the text. You are, you can remind each other of this as you're speaking the gospel to each other. You're a chosen race. You're valuable to God. You are a royal priesthood. You have a purpose to God. You are a holy nation. You're part of some wonderful plan God has in redeeming his people. You're a people for his own possession, for God Almighty his possession, that's who you are. And we need to remind each other that. That we're called out of darkness. We're called out of the darkness of sin. Don't live there anymore. That is the wrong way. You're called out of oppression. You're called out of addiction. You're called out of lust and envy and hate and racism and selfishness. And we're, You're brought into the kingdom of light to reflect the kingdom of light. That's who you are. Remember that. You're the people in the kingdom. When we were nobody before, we didn't have a kingdom. We didn't have, we weren't a people. We were scattered. We'd received God's mercy. We've received God's forgiveness. All of God's wrath has been absorbed by Christ on the cross. That's who you are. There's no condemnation for you anymore. Putting the kingdom of God before, oh, excuse me, I went the wrong way. This is who we are. I'm totally lost. That's all right. We often individually forget this. I forget this. I forget who I am. I forget that I'm forgiven. I forget that I'm loved. I forget that uh, my identity is in Christ alone. So we need one another. I need you, and you need me, and you need each other to one another. Each other, that's who we are, that we're preaching the gospel constantly to one another in those moments of forgetfulness. And we can do this just by simply asking one another, Who is God? What is true about Him? In that moment, is He evil? Is he, is he forgetful? Is he turning from you? Is he weak? Is your heart telling you he's weak, that he's evil? Or is he love? Is he just? Is he gracious, merciful, all-powerful? That's how we start speaking. Who is God? Remember who he is. Who is Christ? What has he done for you? What is true about him? Is he trying to ruin your life? Is that what you believe about him? Is he trying to keep you from fun? Or is he loving, forgiving, sacrificing God who gave everything for you? Is that who he is? And that's what he's done. And we can ask who are you? What is true about you? Are you a failure? Are you an addict? Are you broken? Are you lost? Are you in darkness? Or are you loved? Are you a son and daughter of the king? Are you adopted by God? Are you forgiven by God? Are you a people for God's own possession? Church, we're priests to one another. We do this by how we speak the gospel to one another at all times. How we sing the gospel to one another at all times. How we partake in the gospel as we have um, the Lord's Supper and we eat and see that all of these sinners around me are also forgiven and loved. And the way you do that, the way we learn to speak the gospel is by being in the word knowing the man Jesus Christ and what he has actually done, and that he's actually fully man and fully God. And by speaking that gospel every day to yourself and by speaking that gospel every day to others, that's how we do it. We're also priests to one another practically in how we act. So we see this in 1 John, little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. I don't just need you <laughs> to say, hey, do better or um, remember this. I need uh, people in my life that are actually living out the gospel also. It's very easy to proclaim the gospel and not live it. James also picks that up. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can, faith, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food... And one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving him things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we can't just be um, confessing. We need to be living Christians. Priests to one another in everyday life. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called Today. As, one, as none of you may be hardened, or so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to be for each other's hearts. Like, I don't want you to be hardened by sin, so I'm going to exhort you every day. I need to be in your life every day. How do we do that? It's simple. Do chores together. Shop together. Watch TV together. Play board games together. Do family worship together. Walk the dog together together. Plant a garden together. Whatever you do every day, just involve people into it. Involve the church in what you're doing. And while you're doing that, you're teaching one another. You're exhorting one another. We are, just like it says in Thessalonians, admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, being patient because we need that grace from each other to all. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is how we do it. And we're priests to one another by how we love each other financially. It says in Acts, all who believed were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their own possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. Again, rejoice. Well, I just cut that other one out. Doesn't even matter. You get the point. There was no one among them that were in need. There should be no person in our congregation in need. No, we should take care of each other. That's how we are priests to each other. We take care of each other. We're to be priests to one another in mourning. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sit with those in mourning. Weep with them. We're priests to each other in crisis. Bear one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. We don't just shake our heads when someone's in crisis and say, man, I can't believe they're there. We bear that load with them. We enter into that with them. We're to be priests of one another as disciples. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So the work of the saints is to disciple the saints. The work of the saints is to build up the body of Christ. That's not only the work of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. That's the whole body should be building up the body of Christ. We're priests one to another and when we do this, we're living out the kingdom of God. We're revealing and we're reminding one another what the kingdom actually looks like. I'm get, I get to see the kingdom in you, and you get to see it in me. But we have to do this in community. Remember, Peter says, you've been saved for a sincere brotherly love. You've been saved to be in community in community, we gather together as the body on Sunday mornings, that's not enough. There's a lot of stuff that's going to go on between Sunday and Sunday in your life. We have to do community together throughout the week. We need to be together over dinner and over the phone and in the park and in small groups. We need each other. And then we go on mission as a community. We're going to see a lot more of point four next week. Don't worry, point four will be very short. We're kingdom of priests to the world around us. This is our mission. This is what we're called to do. We're we're to make disciples, and we're to go and tell others of Christ. But here in Peter, we see we're chosen, verse 9. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Whew. My mouth's getting, it's hard to say words right now. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we wish we could just stop there and enjoy and not do anything. That's how we want to live. That, that's an important word for us. You may proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're to do. We're chosen for a purpose. We're chosen to obey. We're chosen to make disciples and make more disciples. Adam was chosen to expand the garden kingdom. Noah was chosen to expand, to go to the corners of the world. Abraham was chosen to go into the land. David was chosen. Jesus was chosen. The apostles were chosen. You and I are chosen to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And by our message of the gospel, we're priests to the world. What's our our message? He's called us out out of the darkness. I was once in the darkness. I'm now in marvelous light. I was not a people. Now I'm a people for God's own possession. I have received mercy. I've received forgiveness. This is our message. And we can tell the world in our message. But we're also to live out this. Look at 11 and 12. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls and to keep your conflict among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our message, our lives need to reflect our message. If this is our message, then we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. If this is our message, we're to keep our conduct among Gentiles honorable so that they see our Lord. So church, we are a community of the kingdom of God. We need to start acting that way. Satan wants nothing more than to divide the body of Christ over silly debates fickle positions and anything else he can that's exactly what he wants to do but he cannot divide us over the one thing that unites us and that's Jesus Christ if we're to expand the kingdom of god to the ends of the earth as we're called we have to begin with our love for Christ and our love for one another in the body jesus said for by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your son. We know that this word is hard. We know that we are selfish and we would rather love ourselves than others. But that's not reflective of the kingdom. And, and we, want, we desire to love others as you love us. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to be humble like you humbled yourself. And we want to serve like you served. And we want the world to look at us and say, I don't know what's wrong with those people, but I know that they follow Jesus. We can't do that without you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in here, Lord, that you would anchor this word in our hearts, that you would give us the ability to love you and love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon. 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.